Welcome to episode 25 of the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Security Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 25th, 26th and 27th of April 2023. Security Matters is once again serving as the lead media partner for the exhibition. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Focusing on the news now, and Mighty has moved to further develop its security intelligence offer with the acquisition of the Lynx International Group in a £1.2 million deal. The acquisition is established on a debt-free, cash-free basis. The Lynx International Group is a highly respected risk management consulting business, which also provides technical and management training to the security industry. For the 12 months ending in December 2022, the group generated revenues of £2.5 million and a profit before tax of £0.2 million. The business lists gross assets of £3.6 million. Underpinned by over 35 years' experience of delivering security consultancy and training services, the Lynx International Group is formed of three service lines, all of which will now form part of the Mighty Security offer. Lynx Consulting provides a range of specialist security, risk management and investigative services to international clients. These services include security risk assessments, security design, fraud and commercial malpractice investigations, contingency planning and also crisis management. The consulting team works with clients in all sectors and of all sizes and is retained as a specialist advisor by several household names in the fast-moving consumer goods, electronics and pharmaceutical sectors. Perpetuity Arc provides extensive security management training, covering everything from security risk assessments through to kidnap and ransom management. It was also the first private company to offer a master's degree in international security and risk management, which is delivered in partnership with the University of West London. Further to this, Perpetuity Arc is the exclusive education partner for the Security Institute. A very familiar name to many in the industry, Tavcom provides award-winning technical security skills training, offering over 100 technical training courses for installers, operators, managers and designers of security systems. These courses cover a range of disciplines such as system design, installation and maintenance for video surveillance systems, fire alarms and access control solutions. Tavcom also manages the Certified Technical Security Professionals Register for Electronic Security and Fire Systems Practitioners. The addition of the Lynx International Group will enrich Mighty's own security risk analysis and intelligence capabilities, which combine technology and people to meet the increasing customer need for a more sophisticated approach towards security. Harnessing Mighty's scale, cutting-edge technology and national customer footprint, the Lynx International Group will play a part in enhancing the capability of the wider security industry, ensuring the calibre of expertise needed for the future of the sector. The two companies also work with a range of common customers across the retail, corporate and aviation sectors. A statement issued by Mighty reads, With the industry changing at a rapid pace, it's more important than ever to promote the development of specialist security expertise. The acquisition of the Lynx International Group will enable Mighty to call on the former's proven ability to evolve in line with the industry in order to adapt and prepare for changes in legislation. This includes the government's new Protect Duty legislation, commonly known as Martin's Law, which imposes greater security requirements on those organisations operating public places with capacities of more than 100 people. Ahead of the legislation's arrival later on this year, Mighty is fully focused on enhancing its risk and assurance offering to support clients and keep the public safe. Jason Towers, the Managing Director of Business Services at Mighty, has commented, As the UK's largest security provider, we know the best way in which to create safe and secure environments is by combining the power of our technology with the deep expertise of our people in order to deliver real-time intelligence. Towers went on to state, With the industry continuing to evolve at such high speed and new legislation on the horizon, in welcoming the Lynx International Group and its extensive experience and expertise, we're further developing our risk management-focused offer. David Gill, Managing Director at the Lynx International Group, responded, Mighty's acquisition of the Lynx International Group is extremely positive and exciting for both parties. 
Integrating our consulting and training expertise into Mighty's intelligence-led security division will create an unrivaled service offering for clients. Gill also explained, Lynx International Group's extensive experience in fraud investigation, commercial malpractice and crisis management response will strengthen Mighty's position in the marketplace. The accredited security management and technical training and vocational programs available through the Lynx International Group will supply much-needed skills within the industry to meet ever-changing future trends. In further news, a formal assessment process conducted by the Information Commissioner's Office has determined that Facewatch is fully compliant with UK data protection law. The ICO's findings confirm the right of retailers to protect their customers, members of staff and goods from acts of criminality by deploying the Facewatch Live Facial Recognition System. The ICO has explained, Facewatch's product aims to help businesses protect their customers, staff and stock. The system scans people's faces in real time as they enter a store and alerts if a subject of interest has entered. The statement continues, innovative solutions helping businesses to prevent crime are in the public interest and a benefit to society. Data protection law recognises this, allowing personal information, in this case facial images, to be used if there's a legitimate interest, such as for the detection and prevention of crime. However, this benefit must always be balanced against the privacy rights of the individual. Throughout its dealings with Facewatch, the ICO considered whether the latter's system is compliant with data protection legislation. On that note, the ICO has commented, Facewatch made and continues to make improvements to its products. Based on the information provided by Facewatch about improvements already made and the ongoing improvements it is making, we're satisfied the company has a legitimate purpose for using people's information for the detection and prevention of crime. We've therefore concluded that no further regulatory action is required. Further, the ICO has noted, we agree that the purpose of preventing and deterring criminal activity is in the legitimate interest of Facewatch and its subscriber base. Legal gateways in the data protection legislation allow biometric data to be processed for this very purpose. The judgment means subscribers can rest assured that, by using Facewatch, they're deploying a system that's proven to be compliant. The ICO judgment follows on from the recent decision of Professor Fraser Sampson, the Biometrics and Surveillance Camera Commissioner at the Home Office, to award Facewatch its seal of approval, i.e. the certification mark, for meeting requirements relating to the use of live facial recognition. The award of the mark followed a detailed accreditation process conducted by the Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board. Professor Sampson asserted, By successfully engaging with the professional accreditation bodies and my certification scheme, an organisation, and more importantly the public, may be reassured that surveillance camera systems which intrude upon their privacy are being demonstrably operated ethically and legitimately to an appropriate standard, in a way that the public would rightly expect, and to a standard that maintains public trust and confidence. Facewatch Chair Nick Fisher responded, The ICO judgment and the award from the Surveillance Camera Commissioner underlines our firm commitment to best practice in terms of preventing crime and protecting staff and customers. Members of the public and our subscribers can continue to have confidence in our systems and privacy safeguards. Facewatch is now the only facial recognition solution provider recognised by the UK's regulatory bodies for such technology as being compliant with the UK's General Data Protection Regulation and the Surveillance Camera Code of Practice. The Southern Co-op is a regional independent cooperative operating more than 300 branches across the south of England. The organisation is a Facewatch supporter. On learning of the ICO's judgment, the business stated, We would like to thank the ICO for its detailed independent investigation and also praise Facewatch for its proactivity in making improvements to its product and in upholding our high expectations. Our use of facial recognition technology is an important step forward in our own work to protect store colleagues from unacceptable violence and abuse. We do take our customers' rights extremely seriously. The business also noted, in the small number of our stores where we use this technology, there is just one camera at the store entrance. Using facial recognition technology in this limited way continues to improve the safety of our store colleagues alongside a range of other measures we're employing to tackle crime.
Our first guest on episode 25 of the Security Matters podcast is David Rubens, Executive Director at the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. A chartered security professional and the holder of a doctorate in security and risk management from the University of Portsmouth, David is a recognised authority on the strategic management of complex events, and particularly so within a multi-agency crisis management framework. Through time, David has served as a board director at the Security Institute and also runs his own business, namely Deltar Training Solutions. The company is a full-service corporate training consultancy specialising in all aspects of corporate risk and crisis management. Having spoken about business resilience on episode 6 of the Security Matters podcast, David now returns as our guest to focus on the management of complex risks. David, it's great to welcome you once again on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Your new book, itself entitled Strategic Risk and Crisis Management, has just been published, of course. What was the original idea behind this latest publication, David, and what's your target audience for this one? Well, Brian, thanks for, again, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be back here. The idea behind the book was, like so many books at this level, it came out of my doctorate thesis. And um, you're always supposed to think about publishing your doctor, doctorate thesis as a book. Um, it just took a bit longer than I expected. It was about seven years. But about a year ago, um, it became clear to me that what I was trying to say through both the ISRM, Institute of Strategic Risk Management, and our online courses and our, our consultancy, it was beginning to take shape in my mind as a cohesive idea. And the basic idea behind the book was that in the current world we're living in, in, this, in the risk environment we're living in today, there are three pillars which I, I believe people need to deal with. Um, the first is complexity. We're living in a complex world with complex problems, uh, which cause complex um, issues, which re- require complex solutions by complex networks. And the world doesn't seem to be understanding that. The second is the idea of something being um, unprecedented, that the, the challenges are, and, and issues we're facing are unprecedented, which means we don't have a playbook to engage with them. And the third is non-recoverability, that classically speaking, If you look at risk management, it's about trying to um, mitigate or prevent an event. But if an event does happen, then you survive it, you absorb, you adapt and you recover. And we're seeing problems now from which there is no recovery, that we have to deal with the new reality that comes afterwards. And so this is beginning to coagulate and coalesce in my mind. And so the idea of it was right from the beginning to create a book that would be an introduction to the academic work for practitioners. I mean, in my experience, practitioners, however good they are, often do not have a familiarity with the academic work and a familiarity with the academic work, in my belief, would bring real value to them. So it was an introduction to the academic work to practitioners, but also an introduction to the practitioner world to academics and certainly to academic students to give them an understanding of how the things that they're talking about in the academic work world have real significance and real impact in the real world we're living in. So that was the idea of the book. That was the idea of the uh, the two sorts of audiences I targeted. And um, it is now out there in the world living its own independent life. And in your new book, David, which is subtitled The Handbook for Modelling and Managing Complex Risks, you talk about complexity, as you mentioned. Given the speed of change in the world right now, how good are we at understanding the sorts of changes being experienced and also the challenges they create? That's a good question, Brian. Um, the idea, I think the idea is we do not understand complexity. We're not, we're not comfortable with complexity. One of the things I talk about is whether we're going through a paradigm shift. And if we are going through a paradigm shift, that means that we're not looking at change as being evolutionary or revolutionary, but change as being mutational. It's changing into something which is 
basically different. Um, and it's almost like trying to describe, trying to use the metaphor of a typewriter or the language of a typewriter to describe the Internet. It, it just does not fit. You can't do that. And my feelings were trying to use the language of the 1990s to describe the, the challenges of the 2020s moving into the 2030s, which is not far away. So I think we're, we're very bad at, at understanding, at, at dealing with complexity. And you look at something like, for example, chat GPT. I mean, six months ago, that pretty well did not exist. And right now, it's pretty well revolutionized everything we know about, not just writing, but the ownership of knowledge, um, what creativity means, and certainly in the academic world, what does it mean to write an essay? Um, because if you can get chat GPT to write an essay, what does that mean for our understanding of how we demonstrate our own, our own insight and capability? So I think that something like ChatGPT, uh, for example, not only creates challenges, but it's also very, very encouraging because it just shows how how powerful human ingenuity is. And if we bring our brains, our collective brains to the problems we're facing, we can find solutions just as revolutionary and radical and, and, and groundbreaking as ChatGPT, but in ways that will bring benefit um, in multiple areas. One, one area, for example, typically would be a power. You know, if we can take the power um, of, of solar, uh, wind and waves, which I think is incredibly underdeveloped. And if we can create chat GPT in basically uh, a couple of years and bring it to the level it is now, then I'm, I believe that we do have the opportunities to bring in new and emergent technologies as well. Well, you've been involved with strategic risk and crisis management for some time now, David, and certainly since the mid-1990s. With that in mind, what changes have you witnessed in these sectors across the last 25 years? Well, certainly, I mean, to use the word of De Nojo, it's, it's more diverse. I mean, it's absolutely, it is an open field now. I genuinely believe that. And I'm sure that many of the people that you've had on your podcast, Brian, uh, would, would reflect that. Um, you know, we see events now where where not just the female part of the population, but every other aspect of the part of the population, however they define themselves, feel that security and risk management is a, a field that is welcoming and open and available and, and brings real value, value to, their, to their lives if they choose to take that path. One of the things I think that we have not seen is a development at the lower end. I think that at the lower end of the security management, not the risk management, but the security management world, the area which was supposed to be looked after by the SIA when it came in in 2006, we've seen almost no development, I think, in, in, in what that means. Um, I, I still think that it is seen very much as a low cost grudge spend where you try and spend, you try and save 25p an hour on your on your patrolling security people. And many people are, are providing services on that basis. At the top end, however, we've seen radical difference. I mean, now it is absolutely a profession. It was not a profession. Um, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, it was something you did after you finished your profession, after you finished as a soldier or as a policeman or somebody else, something like that. You then went into corporate security. Uh, but now, I mean, if you want to think of this as a career, I mean, master's degree is pretty well the minimum. You know, that's now entry level into a corporate uh, risk management position, professional risk management position. And then, of course, we have the chartered security professionals. We have doctorates. We have all sorts of qualifications around that. So I think that what we have is we've actually seen the professionalization of the industry. I think we now have a, a genuine professional risk management uh, cohort community. The question is, of course, well, to what extent are we are we making a difference? To what extent are we able to have our voices heard and have influence? And is the world the better place because of it? Of course, we keep seeing 
um, I'm trying to choose my language um, wisely here, given that we're on a public broadcast. But we, we st- keep seeing mistakes being made which should not be made. The station report into the Metropolitan Police is just one example. That is basic risk management. That is about how do we manage our organisation. But, you know, the Curse Lake and the Saunders reports into Manchester Arena bombing highlight exactly the same issues. When it comes out about banking, you know, we're now going through another banking crisis, potentially. Opinion, my feeling is, and I'm not an expert in this, but we're going to see exactly the same problems we had in 2008 before the financial crash. And that should not have happened. Grenfell Tower should not have happened. To answer your question, I think we are a long, long way ahead. We are much more mature as a as a sector and as a profession, but we are still making basic, basic mistakes, which, of course, because of the nature of the work we do, when we make mistakes, that has consequences, as we see in Grenfell Tower, as we see in the banking collapse, as we see in the Manchester Arena bombing. Now, I know that you have a keen involvement in the academic side of the equation, David, and in recent times, We've seen the rise of technologies such as ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence chatbot that you mentioned previously. Now, in what ways do you feel technologies such as this could impact the academic work being done and indeed the wider world in general? The answer is, Brian, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I'm I'm absolutely sure that it will be revolutionary. It seems to be one of those step changes where, where you enter a new world because of this. What it means, I genuinely have no idea. And I don't think anybody else does. Um, on the ISRM, we had uh, just uh, last week a, uh, a, web, a webinar, uh, one of our strategic leadership webinars, looking at the issues of AI, ChatGPT, and specifically crisis management. There are, of course, as in any step change technology movements, there's both opportunities and benefits and advantages. There's also dangers and challenges and threats. Um, for so, certainly, it, it gives another tool to people who wish to scam you or wish to create an alternative reality. It is almost impossible now, almost impossible to know what is real and what is not real. I mean, you can just see anything on any you know, social media platform and there's stuff there which is just not real, which is created by, by, by artificial logarithms. But we will, we will adapt to that as the world has always adapted to that. In terms of the academic world, um, I, think it will, I think it will set challenges in terms of how we assess and how we, how we, how we look at the, the, the development of knowledge or the creation of knowledge. Um, I'm not sure it was. Maybe Steve Jobs said um, that the basic thing in technology is we always overestimate change over two years and underestimate change over 10 years. Um, it'll be something that just like everything else that we do, just like the Internet, for example, will become part of our normality in exactly three years time. It will be absolutely part of our normal, normal reality and something else would have come along to be disruptive in its own way. And last but by no means least. There'll be some readers of Security Matters listening to this podcast who are just starting out on their journey in the security and risk management sector. As an experienced practitioner yourself, David, what advice would you give them? Listen to listen to podcasts. How about that, Brian? That's what you should do. Listen to more podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great, great question, because what you have now, which, which when I was starting out didn't exist, is you have the ability to treat this not as a job, but as a career, as a profession. Um, to, to, to think about, well, if you're going to spend 30 years of your life doing something, if you're going to bring up your family, if you're going to do whatever you do, this is a great, a great sector to be in. On the other hand, you have to invest in that. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, you don't you, you, you do a job, but you build a career. You develop a career. I would say three things. If I was I'll say three things, if I think of advice. The first is hang around with good people. Don't hang around with idiots. Don't hang around with time wasters. Hang around with people 
who you look at and you, you admire and you like what they do and you like the way they act, you like the way that they, they carry themselves and go, OK, can I spend time with these people? Because that's a good thing to do. The second thing. So that's basically find yourself a mentor, find people that you that, that you know, you can ride along with. That's important. Um, the second thing is get qualifications. Uh, you need to be qualified now, um, just as you would if you're an engineer or an architect or an accountant. Do qualifications, get qualifications. There's there's no shortage of, of, of world class qualifications now available. Get qualifications. And the third thing is, and it's something which I'm, I'm passionate about, is read, read more, just read more. Um, if you read, if you're somebody who reads, then what you do and the way you articulate it, and the way you conceptualize it, the way you formulate it, the way you describe it will be better than if you don't read. There's no question about it. It will change. It won't just allow you to do things better, but it will change the way you engage with knowledge and with the world around you. It will change your perspective. Um, and people who read recognize people who read. And if you go for, for example, a job interview or if you're part of a team and the team leaders are readers, as I'm sure they will be, and two or three people on that team are readers and the other three are not readers, there will be a difference between the people who read and the people who don't read. There's a massive amount of material out there. Of course, there is on the ISRM. Uh, uh, pages, you know, we have we have libraries and we have archives and we have a whole load of stuff available. But there's a whole load of other places where it's available from. So be good, take your time, be nice, you know, make yourself useful, be part of things, join things, uh, offer to help, offer to help out. Um, over time, that will pay off. Returning to the news now, and the Joint International Crime Centre has been launched to lead the UK's work on international crime and, in parallel, consolidate and enhance the UK's capabilities around international law enforcement cooperation and coordination. The move affords the UK an opportunity to perform a greater and more efficient role in responding to the growing threat posed by transnational criminality. Formed by combining the current capabilities housed within the National Crime Agency's International Crime Bureau and Policing's International Crime Coordination Centre, the Joint International Crime Centre will drive, coordinate and support the response of UK policing and law enforcement to international crime. The two previous centres have worked with the National Crime Agency, the National Police Chiefs Council and Home Office Support to create the Joint International Crime Centre, which is being hosted by the National Crime Agency. The Joint International Crime Centre is integrated with the NCA's specialist international capabilities, such as its International Liaison Officer Network, in which scores of officers based overseas cover cases in upwards of 120 countries. Circa 300 officers will be working at the Joint International Crime Centre, with around one-third of them seconded from police forces. Governance for the operation is jointly overseen by the National Crime Agency and the National Police Chiefs Council. Dee Rodhouse, Director General of Operations at the NCA, explained, while the Joint International Crime Centre retains the best of both previous centres, it's very much a new streamlined unit bringing together shared processes, teams, systems and data under one roof. It will serve to improve how policing and the National Crime Agency tackles international criminality that impacts the UK. Rodhouse also stated, I'm completely confident that the Joint International Crime Centre will make us more effective in protecting members of the public. The Joint International Crime Centre provides a multi-agency approach towards meeting the increasing international demands of territorial policing. Deputy Chief Constable Pete Ayling, International Lead at the National Police Chiefs Council, explained, 
Like all nations, the UK faces a growing threat from organised criminal groups that operate across borders with increasing levels of sophistication. The Joint International Crime Centre brings together experts from across policing and the National Crime Agency to tackle international criminals and bear down on serious organised crime and dangerous offenders. Further, Ailing noted, the Joint International Crime Centre will identify criminal threats emanating from abroad and build capability to tackle and prevent them. The UK is a safe place in which to live, work and prosper, and this new specialist unit will ensure that we remain at the cutting edge of international law enforcement, creating a hostile place for those who would seek to cause harm on our shores. Security Minister Tom Tugendat stated, Organised crime groups don't recognise borders. If we want to crack down on the most dangerous organisations and offenders, then we need to tackle them upstream, online and at source. The new Joint International Crime Centre will do just that, adopting a multi-agency approach to identify criminal threats emanating from abroad and blunt their reach into the UK. A non-exhaustive list of services for the new operation includes offender management, extradition and watch listing, policy and guidance, partner support, data management and analysis, information provision and exchange, Interpol and Europol engagement, biometrics data exchange, disclosure and last but not least, outbound and inbound intelligence development and analysis. The Joint International Crime Centre will also provide operational support for surveillance requests, judicial cooperation, search and locate, i.e. missing persons work, overseas security and justice, casework, training, international liaison officer network support and work involving the International Law Enforcement Alerts platform. Alex Carmichael, Chief Executive of the Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board, the Specialist UK Fire and Security Certification Body, recently announced his retirement, which came into effect at the end of March. Carmichael has expertly led the SSIAB since 2015, when he took over the reins as CEO from Jeff Tate. Across the past eight years, he has expanded the SSIB's scope of UCAS accredited activities, built up the SSIB's administration expertise and extended the number and competence of the organisation's dedicated audit team members. As a direct result of those diligent efforts, the SSIB now boasts a client base in excess of 2,000 companies. Prior to joining the SSIB, Carmichael served as Director of Technical Services at the British Security Industry Association, whom he had worked for across a 16-year period. His career also included over 24 years' experience in the British Army in various electronic, technical and engineering roles within the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. During his time with the SSIB and previously with the BSIA, Carmichael served on a number of British, European and International Standards Committees and, more recently, chaired the Standards Committee for the UK Surveillance Camera Commissioner. Commenting on his decision to retire, Carmichael informed Security Matters, As I step down and prepare for my next adventure in retirement, I reflect on the fact that, in my eight years as Chief Executive of the SSIB, I've seen this remarkable industry meet many challenges and indeed overcome them. He continued, I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of the SSIB's members of staff for their support and particularly for their can-do attitude, their knowledge and the proficient manner in which they've carried out their work, which underpins the continuing growth and strength of the organisation. Carmichael went on to add, I can leave the CEO's chair behind, knowing full well that the organisation I've led has solid financial foundations in place, first-class workforce and a strong and capable management team. I thank all of the SSIAB's board members for their help over the years, Chair Jeff Tate for all of his sage advice and all of my industry colleagues across the past 24 years for their help and support. It has been a great privilege and pleasure to lead such a fantastic organisation as the SSIB and to be part of what is a wonderful and ever-evolving industry. In tandem with imparting this news, the Whitley Bay Base Inspectorate announced that Paul Phillips, who was recently appointed General Manager for the organisation, is now responsible for day-to-day SSIB operations subsequent to Carmichael's departure. The team here at Security Matters wishes Alex all the very best for his well-earned retirement. Thank you so much, Alex, for your tremendous service to the industry. Our final interview on this edition of the Security Matters podcast features two guests. 
Ben Durrant is sales engineering team leader at Genetech, and Jamie Donald serves as program director for Genetech's technology partner, Axis Communications. Ben moved to Genetech in 2019, having previously worked at Tyco. Jamie joined Axis Communications back in late 2013 with a keen focus on business alliances before moving to his current role in September 2020. Episode 25 of the podcast sees Ben and Jamie turning their attentions towards the new Axis Powered by Genetech program and Julie explaining how this is going to positively impact system integrators and the supply chain. Jamie and Ben, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to join us on the Security Matters podcast. First of all, over to you, Jamie. Could you outline the history of the collaboration between Axis Communications and Genetech to date and also explain how the relationship first came into being? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks very much. Basically, the collaboration with Axis and Genetech goes back really to the very start of the network surveillance industry. So Axis invented the IP surveillance camera back in 1996 and it took a few years to start getting some traction. But when it did, we uh, we started to win a few projects, first of all, in the US um, with Genetech and both companies had a very open approach to technology. So we thought, well, why not integrate our hardware and software and see where that goes, see where that takes us. And, then, and that was quite successful even back then over 20 years ago. And if you fast forward to where we are today, we're now two market leaders with hundreds and hundreds of different devices that have been integrated into Genetech's different platforms. And we have an installation base, a joint installation base of millions and millions of devices with thousands of customers. So really the collaboration dates back over 20 years where we've got a huge installation base and the Powered by Genetech um, initiative that we're, we're proudly launching together is really taking the next step uh, into the access control arena and taking the partnership to the next level from that long history of working together. And Ben, what would you say are some of the key benefits of combining Genetech access control software with Access Communications' own network door controllers in a single all-in-one offer? So Genetech and Access customers can benefit from easy-to-deploy hardware, which is preloaded with the industry's most innovative access control software, Genetech Synergist. That allows us to remove friction, which is traditionally associated with access control integrations. The devices that are part of this access powered by Genetech program are also benefiting from continuous delivery, meaning that when there are firmware improvements, new features, and most importantly, cybersecurity updates from both Axis and Genetech, they are gonna be deployed to that device automatically. We are also supporting cloud connections out of the box for the future proofing of those access control deployments. It also allows us to bring that logic closer to the door as well. So having the software running directly on the hardware brings us new opportunities and more intelligence that ultimately can help businesses make better decisions and improve daily operations. And Jamie, could you detail for us how system integrators will benefit from the new Axis Powered by Genetech program and also explain how it simplifies the hardware and software integration process? Sure, absolutely. Um, So I think firstly, the integrators benefit by being the only ones who can actually provide this unique joint solution, the Axis controllers powered by Genetech. There's specific variants of the controllers that are only available from Genetech certified channel partners. And in this case, we really see the collaboration three-way between Axis, Genetech and the certified channel partners, where we offer this triple win, if you like. 
in in case the partners on the Genetech side are not already uh, in the Access Channel Partner Program, then that's seamless and easy to come across and get the full the full benefits that we offer on top of uh, the Access Control offering. I think the integrators also get the benefit that the two companies are going to continue to work together to enhance the joint solution so that we bring new features together in this all-in-one solution. And often that feedback is obviously going to come from the market in terms of what's needed, and that will come through uh, the joint integrators. So they'll really be the voice of the customer back to two companies to continue to develop this. I also think in terms of support, they're going to have a very clear path for the support of the click, the complete offering. So Genetech is on the front line and Axis is standing firmly behind to support to make sure that that technical support runs smoothly and there's no chance of being passed from pillar to post in terms of going backwards and forwards between hardware and software vendor. So really the integrators are gonna benefit from having these two industry heavyweights working hand in hand to support them all the way. So in terms of simplifying the hardware and software integration process, Genetech has utilized our ACAP platform, Axis Camera Application Platform, which is edge-based, to run software on the edge devices. And in this case, you can use the uh, Synergis uh, software that's preloaded in the door controllers, where previously you had that additional CloudLink device that was, re that was required. So by using the power of our intelligence at the edge, we remove the need for that device, obviously reducing the integration complexity and cost. And Ben, cybersecurity is an important concern, of course, and notably so when it comes to access control systems. How does Access Powered by Genetech address these concerns and also provide built-in cybersecurity features at both the hardware and software levels? So by combining the hardware and software into one solution, we're bringing that built-in cybersecurity functionality and features at both of those levels. There are several layers of security built into the devices. First off, when you install the device, before you connect it to a system, you're going to have to change that password and it's going to have to be a unique password for the device. The communication between the devices and the server is always going to be modern IT standards, so TLS 1.3. The unit also has a built-in secure element too. So from a firmware perspective, it's going to be tamper-proof. And obviously, access control has moved away from Wigand, and now we're going to be supporting OSDP v2 on these devices as well. So from your reader to your door controller, that communication is going to be encrypted. We're um, leveraging technology which is made available by Axis, and we can find the same security currently available on the Synergist CloudLink, which is another offering from Genetech. So we have a, a very deep history securing these systems as well. And then with the cloud agent, which can also be present on the device, that allows us to create a secure tunnel to our cloud services for that access control as a service solution without the need to open ports or change network configuration on the customer side. And Ben, this next one's also for you. In what ways is the new arrangement going to impact the supply chain issues we've witnessed in the access control market that have seen some projects delayed due to a lack of available hardware? So Genetech Synergis, our access control platform, is all about open protocol communications and products. So our customers have always had a choice with the access control hardware they installed. Over the past few years, you're right, we did see a lot of supply chain issues within the access control space. We're adding another device to that synergist ecosystem. So again, more choice, which means more supply chain choices for the customer and for the SIs. And that open platform, that is going to continue to expand within the Genetech and Axis ecosystem as well.
And finally, Jamie, what kind of future innovations and, and edge initiatives can we expect to see from Access Communications and Genetech? And precisely how does Access Powered by Genetech set the stage for these progressions? Sure. Well, obviously, we can't reveal too much here on what we're working on. But what I can say is that the two technology teams, the two R&D organisations, have never worked so closely together. And obviously, this Powered by Genetech initiative is kind of confirmation of that. But obviously, we have a very deep and long history in video, and we continue to work extremely collaboratively in co-innovation. Our um, CTO, Johan Paulson, just recently said to me, integration between the two companies is simply not enough. So we, we need to be working at a much deeper level to come up with offerings, solutions that work in new types of architectural ways so that we can really enable any type of offering, whether it's access control video, audio, intercoms and others to work across different platforms, to work across different architectures. So whether you are a customer that's traditional and wants fully on-premise solution, or at the other end of the scale, obviously we hear a lot about cloud right now, and I can say that the teams are working extremely closely in this area. But actually, also if you have something in between, you want a hybrid, you want to migrate over time. There's a lot of work going on between the teams uh, in this in this area that I think is really going to excite uh, customers in the future and really enable them to uh, use the right architecture for the right situation and evolve with both companies over time. Of course, everyone's heard a lot about artificial intelligence, deep learning on the Axis side. Of course, we're really heavily invested in actually taking our full range of cameras and devices into becoming deep learning devices. And coupled with all the advancements in metadata and what Genetech can do with that metadata in their platforms, again, you're going to see more and more coming from both companies when it comes to analytics and making improved use of those different technologies. The Powered by Genetech, just to, to, to go back, is really confirmation of the trust and the commitment that both companies have in each other and where we're going in the future so that customers, both integrator customers and also ultimately the end customers, really know that they've got two companies that they can invest in for the long term to support them way into the future. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to David Rubens from the Institute of Strategic Risk Management, Ben Durrant from Genetech, and also Jamie Donald of Axis Communications for their highly valued contributions. Many thanks also to our podcast sponsor, The Security Event. The Security Event runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 25th, 26th and 27th of April 2023. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.securitymattersmagazine.com where you can access all of our podcasts and also read the latest news and opinion from the security business sector. You can view our dedicated features content and sign up to receive our very popular weekly e-news bulletins. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming editions of the podcast. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag SecurityPod. On that note, make sure you follow us on Twitter at WBMSecMatters and access our LinkedIn page at Security Matters Magazine and website. Please do like and share the podcast content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.